Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo on this trade deadline edition of the podcast. We just got through the deadline. We, we pushed the podcast back a day this week so that we could get through the deadline, let the dust settle, and then talk about it in depth today. That is our plan. Uh, we usually give you a rundown of what we're going to talk about on the given episode of the podcast. Today, it's just trade deadline. That's it. Easy. 52 trades uh, over the past week that involved a prospect. I uh, believe 40 of those prospects were either ranked at the time that they were traded or ended up ranked on the team's top 30 list, uh, the team to which they were traded. I have a semantic question. It's not 52 trades, right? 52 prospects? That's right. 52 prospects were traded, okay. not 52 separate trades. Correct. There were four top 100 prospects traded, which was down from last year uh, when we had seven, which was uh, the most we'd had since we hadn't had more than that since back in 2016. How, how many, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but how, how many top 100 prospects do you think typically get traded uh, leading up to the deadline? Well, I think last week we discovered that my feeling of how many, you know, because you asked the question, how many do we think? Yeah, la- what yeah, I that's think right. and what week- actually happened are not the same thing. And I thought it was not a huge amount. And it has been a fairly large amount. Was it usually five or six? Yeah. So the average over the past 10 years now has been five. Um, but there have been years with as many as nine. Back in 2015, there were nine top 100 prospects traded. Those those top 100 prospects, eh, Daniel Norris, Jose Peraza, Brett Phillips, Jeff Hoffman, Jake Thompson, Nick Williams, Jorge Alfaro, Domingo Santana, and Rob Kamensky. So uh, kudos to those uh, to those teams that uh, traded those prospects to <laughs> to get big league help. Uh, those turned out all right. 2016 didn't really cover itself in glory either with with the top 100 prospects. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, I was looking through these lists um, going back over the past nearly 10 years, and it's it's hit and miss, but it is it's. Interesting to look at, you know, how we ranked the prospects at the time. Obviously, a lot of the guys uh, who were traded and, and you know, may not have been considered elite prospects at the time, but turned into uh, serviceable, serviceable big leaguers or or better. 
but yeah, Jim, the the twenty sixteen top one hundred prospects who were traded at the deadline, Anderson Espinosa, of course, uh, riddled with injuries over the course of his career. Lewis Brinson flamed out pretty spectacularly after being. I think he at the time he was ranked number twenty one, but I, I want to say he was. Did he ever make it into the top 10, maybe even five? He was pretty highly ranked. I don't know top 10. I feel like the guy next to behind him on the list, Clint Frazier, maybe climbed a little higher. But maybe. I mean, Lewis yeah, Glaber Torres. Yep. T- Torres is the one guy on there who, who looks pretty good. Like The next four names are somewhat sad. Yeah, Luis Ortiz. <laughs> Phil Bickford, who got traded again uh, at this deadline. Um, Grant Holmes and Justice Sheffield. Um all right, fast forwarding to this year. Uh, the four top 100 prospects who were traded, Luis Angel Acuna uh, went from the Rangers to the Mets. Drew Gilbert, top-ranked Twitter handle on the list. <laughs> Gilly Goober was traded from the Astros, also to the Mets. Kyle Manzardo went from Tampa Bay to Cleveland, and Edward Cuero went from the Angels to the White Sox. So those prospects uh, currently on the current top 100, which will be updated soon, number 44, Acuna, number 68, Gilbert, number 37, Manzardo, and number 65, Edgar Cuero. And the reason that I read them in the order that I did, not in the order of their top 100 ranking, is this is based on... uh, story that Sam Dykstra did where he ranked each of the 40 prospects uh, that were either ranked at the time they were traded or entered the team's top 30 prospects list after being traded, uh, ranked them all. And he did so with an eye ahead to uh, where these prospects will rank in the midseason re-rank, which is coming next week. And so you get a little sneak peek here. Acuna is going to make a jump. Uh, as is Gilbert Manzardo, looks like uh, his his arrow is pointing down a bit. He hasn't played in a while. He's been injured. And then Edgar Cuero, uh, I guess nothing really revealed by where he ranks on this list. Um, but yeah, I mean, compared to la- last year, you know, we had some really uh, huge trades with Juan Soto, uh, the Castillo deal involved Noel V. Marte. Edwin Arroyo, two top 100 prospects. I think, Jonathan, you put together a list last year of the biggest prospect deadline deals ever, or maybe just the biggest prospect deals ever. I don't know if it was deadline specific. I don't think it was. But I think two of the two of the deals from last year's trade deadline were in the top five there. So this year maybe didn't quite stack up to last year in terms of the magnitude of the deals and the prospects involved. But, they, I mean, there were some huge names on the other side with – Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Lucas Giolito. Uh, what'd you guys think about uh, the guys at the top of, of the list in terms of the prospects that were dealt and and uh, how those trades looked? Well, I think, you know, when you kind of split up the major leaguers into two different camps, you have the the guys who are, who are two-month rentals and, you know, the value you're going to get in return for that is going to be somewhat limited. And then you have typically guys who have you know, uh, multiple years of control for whatever reason. And those are the guys that tend to bring in more. Um, I think, you know, what happened and, uh, they touched on this on MLB network and Jim during his segment on the network sort of touched on it as well. The, 
with Verlander and Scherzer, who have you know more than one year of control, um, even though they're you know they're veterans, it really was more about the money than the prospects, um, and the amount of money that the Mets ended up taking on salary wise, and or conversely, how much the Astros and Rangers had to take on salary wise. I think took away a little bit of what a prospect return could have been. Meaning, if you're just trading Justin Verlander and you have maybe even another two years of Justin Verlander, even age 40 Justin Verlander, you might get more back if it's just strictly based on prospects. Um, you know, same with same with Max Scherzer. That said, I, I mean, I, I, I well, think the Mets actually did pretty well, um, you know, in, in terms of some of the names they got back in both of those trades. I'm going to disagree with you there slightly because I do think the Mets trades were unique. I actually think even though they, you know, they traded two guys who are making 43 million a year, they took on so much salary obligation. They actually got, if they just made a straight trade, I think they would have gotten a lot less. Um, Fair. fair. I, I guess, I guess yeah. I meant more like if it was in a vacuum based on the value of, of the, player and how much control you had and not looking at the salary. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I only bring this up because I wrote my newsletter yeah. on it this morning and the Mets ate $70 million and it could be as much as 88 million, depending on whether Verlander's 2025 option vests. And you know, I thought those trades were interesting. I, I, I don't think this, this is going to be a trend. I mean, one, I think it's a unique situation where you have a team with a $350 million payroll that's not contending at mid season or has been extremely disappointed by mid season and then is looking to shed salary. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to see a, a future where teams are, are buying prospects because honestly, you know, paying 70 million of their salaries, I, I don't think you'd pay 70 million for, for Acuna and, and Gilbert and Clifford. I, but I think it was a sunk cost. And so they just took on more of that sunk cost to get better prospects coming back. But I don't think we've ever seen trades like that. Like it was it was it was pretty fascinating. Okay, so let's uh let's hone in on the prospect who will be the top-ranked prospect out of the four uh, that we mentioned and of course a very familiar name. Um we've been familiar with this name for a while now because of brother Ronald but Luis Angel Acuña uh, going from the Rangers to the Mets, what uh, what are, what are the Mets getting here? Yeah, you know, I mean, he's not gonna, you know, and, and almost nobody would be as good as his brother, but he does have that kind of, you know, not to the same degree, but you know, potential for all around tools. Uh, I thought he was one of the better players we saw in the fall league last year, Jonathan. Yep. In terms of tools and performance, he's got a chance. I think he could potentially be a twenty twenty guy. He has some defensive versatility. I, I would think with Lindor in New York, he's probably going to wind up in, in, at second base or center field in, in the long run. But he could do a lot of things. Like he, he's a he's a he's a very exciting guy. You know, I think I don't know the overshadows the right word, but the Rangers have had pretty good prospect depth, and he's never been their top guy who's stood out more than anybody else in the system. Um, he, he's been one of their better guys, but he's never had that stamp is, you know, top prospect in the organization, which I believe in the re-rank, he will be the Mets number one guy. Um, so if it's possible to be a multi-tooled Acuna brother and be a little unheralded 
uh, I think that might be the case with him. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, it, it is kind of funny for him to, to think of all those different things uh, as him being under the radar. Uh, and he signed for you know $425,000, which was more than four times what his brother got. But obviously, yeah, he had the benefit of his brother being his brother. So it, I think it'll be interesting to see what, you know, where he ends up playing. Uh, he's not that far away from being able to help a, a big league team out. I think at some point next year, they'll have to, this isn't a, Oh, and three years I'll have to figure out what to do. And who knows, maybe Lindor will, you know, need to move to third, but th- th- this is going to be a next year kind of thing. And uh, I'm curious to see where, where Cunha ends up landing when he first, uh, first hits New York. All right, and the uh, big piece that the Mets got in their deal for Verlander, Drew Gilbert. Now, while he was ranked uh, lowest among the four top 100 prospects who were traded, in our ranking uh, in Sam Dykstra's story, he is second. Uh, So he's number 68 currently on the top 100 prospects list. Uh, But it sounds like he's going to be moving up and uh, this sounds like uh, another pretty good get for the Mets. Yeah, you know, and another guy, you know, one of the, the systems I cover, the Astros, um, you know, Gilbert was first round pick last year. He's, you know, I think we even realized how valuable he was to Tennessee when Tennessee struggled this year without him. He, he's, it's not just tools and performance. I just think it's, it's intangibles he brings to a team. He's just a constant, like high energy guy, very aggressive at the plate, on the bases, in center field. He's not the most physical guy. He's 5'9, 195, but he gets the most out of his tools by by kind of playing, you know, pedal to the metal at all times. Um, you know, I think he's gonna hit. I think he'd hit even a little bit more if he toned down his approach a little bit, but I don't think you're gonna get that out of him. You know, I, I think you're looking at a guy, he might be 15 to 20 homers, steals, quality defense in center field, strong arm, and just kind of a, one of those guys who kind of ignites your team. It's kind of like a, a Dustin Pedroia swagger, um, like little guy. He's, he's, he's bigger than Pedroia, but, but he's got that kind of little guy swagger, and he backs it up with his play. That's one of those things, Jim, right? You don't, you don't want to take – you mentioned his approach and everything. You don't want to take the aggressive nature out of his game because it's such a huge part of who he is. So if he could just sort of turn the volume down at the plate just a little bit, right? You don't want to you don't want to remove that piece because that's so much of what makes him go. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. Okay, now the prospect who was ranked highest of, of anyone who was traded uh, in the week leading up to this trade deadline was Kyle Manzardo. Uh, Ray's first base prospect who went to Cleveland for Aaron Savale. He's third on our list, so sounds like he'll be uh, dropping some, at least behind Acuna and and Gilbert. But this is a guy that we have not seen play uh, for a while due to injury, but uh, a lot to like here. Oh, yeah, a lot to like. It was a shame we didn't get to see him in the Futures game. He was named to the team but uh, couldn't play because of that shoulder injury. And... uh, he uh, was reporting to uh, Cleveland's facility in Arizona today to kind of finish off his his rehab. And you know, ever since his, his college days, I do the Pacific Northwest. You know, I, I've liked him as, as a little bit of a sleeper, and then he became a non-sleeper with the year he had last year. He can really, really hit. Uh, it fits the mold of the kind of player that 
the Guardians seem to covet, maybe to a fault in terms of they love guys who make a lot of contact, make good swing decisions, have advanced approaches. If you believe that what he did in 2022 is who he is, there's impact there too. There's going to be power. Uh, I mean, he's going to be a hit over power kind of guy, but I think he could fit the profile at first base just fine, assuming that He's healthy one and two. He can make adjustments. He struggled a lot versus left-handed pitchers in AAA. He kind of you know got pushed up to AAA, thinking that advanced approach would would work. And he 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 did not perform this year before the injury like he did last year. I think he's a smart enough hitter where he's going to make those adjustments. Maybe there always will be some you know left-handed splits you know that aren't great, but I think he'll hit lefties enough where he's going to be very effective. I think the biggest question is how the Guardians are going to figure out, you know, playing time um, once, you know, once he is ready to go, um, given what they have, you know, it's, with him and Naylor. Um, I, I guess you need a first base on a DH. Uh, it's not like Menzardo can play anyplace else. And talking to people in Cleveland, uh, I don't think anyone's eager to see Naylor try the outfield again. No, I think you're probably right on that. I I like the pickup for the Guardians. I, I think they I I don't even know if they quite. I guess they did buy a little bit low on Manzardo. Although I wonder how much the injury drove his his numbers down a little bit this year in AAA. Yeah, fair. I, I just as somebody who covers the Guardian system, the only thing I didn't like really about the trade. I, I don't mind them trading high on Savali and buying low on Manzardo, who fits their profile. But like at some point, don't the Guardians need to acquire some power? Um, like, you know, they have their last, I think in baseball at home runs right now, Josh Bell was not a big part of their future, but they traded him to the Marlins who were looking for some power. He was third on the team in home runs. You know, not, it's not against Manzardo specifically, but just how many hit over power guys can you ha- put in one lineup and be successful? Now it was very successful last year. It got them to the playoffs. And then when they got to the playoffs and faced a higher caliber of pitching, they couldn't score runs. They couldn't score runs against the Rays, who in turn couldn't score runs hmm. against the Guardians. So the Guardians advanced, and then the Guardians couldn't score runs in the division series against the Yankees and lost there in, in five games. So I, that that was the only thing. I, I, that part of it was curious to me. Again, how many more hit over power guys? Because if you even if you look at their draft, I mean Ralphie Velasquez has power, but yep. he's also a, a very advanced hitter their first round pick. Yep. And then they loaded up in the middle rounds on a ton of hit over power guys. So if you could truly win with hit over power, the guardians are in good shape. I, I think the difference is that Manzardo at least has some resume of hitting for power. I mean, he had 22 homers and slugged 617 last year. It's not like he hit for average, you know, got on base and did nothing else. Now maybe he's not a 40 homer guy, but if he hits 300 and hits 25 homers, I don't. I, I think that's fine, right? And that's, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that's what they're hoping to unlock in some of these guys that they drafted. Remains to be seen, as you said, that they haven't had that kind of impact. But if Kyle Manzardo can be the guy that looked like he was turning into after, la- you know, with last year, maybe he's hit over power, but there's enough power. And you are right, Jim. The Guardians uh, dead last in home runs in the big leagues with just 82 in 108 games, which is 12 shy of uh, the Nationals, who have the second fewest. Um, All right, let's talk about the fourth 
top 100 prospect who was dealt, and that is Edgar Cuero, who goes from the Angels to the White Sox. Uh, the, the White Sox got uh, seven prospects over the course of the past week. This is the highest ranked one. Uh, what can White Sox fans expect from Cuero? You know, I, I think it's to be determined. You know, he, he really jumped on the radar. Well, it you know started back in 2021 where he he performed his way up to to full season ball during his you know during his pro debut. Um, and then last year in the California league, he hit really well. Um, what he can do, especially for a guy, his, his age, uh, and he's a switch hitter. So he's a switch hitting catcher. Who's only 20 years old. And so, you know, I think you take his numbers in double a this year with a little bit of a caveat of that, like he's super, super young, but I think he, he's going to hit for average. He makes a ton of contact. He draws walks. Um, you know, he doesn't strike out a ton. He hit 17 homers last year. The move up to double A this year, the power hadn't shown up. I, I think there's more power. He, he's going to be okay ish there. And then, you know, he throws well, and the rest of the catching is, uh, is, you know, a work in progress, as is often the case with the young backstop. You know, we talk all the time when we discuss uh, draft demographics at high school catching. Is is such a tough demographic because it's so hard to develop, and uh, you know, Caro signed as a you know sixteen year old or seventeen year old, and now he's only twenty. So I, I think he'll be just fine behind the plate, and ultimately, what his ceiling is is going to de- will be determined not as much by his defense, but more by how much impact will he have consistently once he gets to the big leagues offensively. Yeah, no, I think that's all fair. I mean, he, he comes to White Sox organization that needs catching. Uh, you know, Yasmani Grandal, I believe, is a free agent, hasn't been very good this year. They don't really have upper-level catching prospects who project as regulars, and they, they traded for not one but two. Not only did they get Caro, they went out and got Corey Lee from the White, from the from the Astros in exchange for Kendall Graveman. So they they tried to to totally you know do an overhaul of their upper-level catching prospects. Uh, and did you know? And it's, it's. I'm not the biggest Corey Lee fan in the world, but it buys time for Quero to develop. I mean, the Angels. Uh, I think the Angels just sent you to Double A, Jonathan, uh, because everybody in the world. <laughs> oh, you're too old, so you would have been in Double A like 40 years ago when you were in high school. But uh, or I guess you well, you probably weren't in high school 40 years ago. But I'm no. babbling. But anyway, what I was trying to say, and <laughs> made a poor attempt at a joke, is that the Angels have everybody on the fast track, and I don't think it helped Quero at all to be in double a at age 20 and by getting Corey Lee, the white Sox buy themselves some time and let Quero catch his breath yeah. and try to fit, you know, and just, you know, he can chill and, and, and develop at a, at a more normal pace. Yeah, They double jumped him. I see the press release now. Angel send Mayo to double a to prepare for bar mitzvah. There you go. All right. Um, let's, I, I want to go through the list here of, of prospects who were traded and highlight some guys who either made a big jump in terms of their ranking on their previous list uh, compared to the new list or uh, made a sizable fall and have you guys kind of weigh in on why that is uh, for each of them because it could be a case uh, that a player was uh, you know trending up and would have been making a jump on uh, you know regardless of the list or it could be a matter of you know uh, it could be a reflection of the 
the quality of the team's top 30 prospects list or some combination thereof. So uh, working our way down the list, uh, we were talking about players, uh, a player that the White Sox got in Edgar Carrero. Also a little bit farther down our list of ranking the prospects who were traded. Uh, Nick Nestrini went from the Dodgers to the White Sox. Not, not a huge jump, but was number nine on the Dodger list and is slots in at number four on the White Sox list. Is that, uh, was he going to make a jump on the Dodgers list? Is this strictly a reflection of the, the you know, disparity of the, these two lists or some combination thereof? I think it's that's more a reflection of the quality of two lists. I mean, the, the, the Dodgers have won the deeper lists. The White Sox have one of the thinner lists or did before they went on their flurry of trades. And I, and I did like their draft as well. So it's more a reflection of that. I, I don't think that, that – I mean, Nistrini is a good prospect. I don't think he's that materially, materially different than he was at the beginning of the season. I mean, it, it's quality stuff. It's a well-above-average fastball plus slider, at least a solid curveball. Changeup can be solid too. It just comes down to consistency of strikes and – and quality of command. We know he can miss bats. Can he? Can he throw enough strikes and locate his pitches well enough to you know get two times through the order and, and maybe start the third and, and give you five innings as a starter is going to be the question. But he's pretty much the same guy. All right. And next up on the list, uh, someone that uh, Jim, I think you'll want to talk about, uh, ranked number eight on our list of prospects who were traded over the past week. Marco Vargas was number eighteen on the Marlins list. Jumps up to number six on the Mets list. That was uh, the deal for David Robertson. I'm guessing this is not strictly a matter of uh, quality of the list. No, I mean, Vargas, and I think I tweeted this at one point, would have been, well, I think at the time I said he was, I was going in with the idea of thinking he was going to be about eighth on the Marlins list, and then the Marlins made some trades, so he might have been closer to five than eight by the time it was all said and done. But he could just, he could just really, really hit. Um, they signed him. Uh, and the Marlins signed him 2022, uh, shortly after he turned, uh, or shortly before he turned 17. And then he went straight to DSL, uh, was team MVP there, got off to another impressive start in the Florida Complex League. And he's just a very, very advanced hitter in terms of recognizing pitches, controlling the strike zone. He uses the opposite field. He's just 18. He's got a strong lower half. And I think as he adds more muscle, he's going to have, you know, perhaps average power. Um, I mean, he might be plus hit average power. You're just, you know, by targeting him in the David Robertson trade, you get somewhat of a discount on the ceiling because he's so far away from it. He hasn't played above rookie ball, but he's walked almost. I know it's rookie ball, so it's not like we're talking, you know, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and company out there. But he's walked twice as much as he struck out. And I do think if the power comes, uh, this could be a really interesting player. So I, I, I think that was – he was – I did not rank them, but you know he might have been as intriguing to me as all the moves, like the prospects included, that the that the Mets targeted Marco Vargas in the David Robertson trade. I thought was a, a very very interesting. All right, now when you look down the list, several of the players who made some of the biggest jumps uh, were those that uh, the Cardinals acquired: Takoa Roby, uh, right-hander. From the Rangers to St. Louis was number 12 on the Rangers list, four on the Cardinals list. Thomas Segezi from 15 to 8 in that same deal. Cesar Prieto, who was in the Jack Flaherty deal, sending Flaherty to the Orioles. Prieto was number 16 on Baltimore's list, now number 9 on the Cardinals list. And if you work your way down even more, 
couple of guys who were not ranked on their team's uh, previous team's list. Adam Klaffenstein, uh, who was in the Jordan Hicks deal with the Blue Jays, was not ranked. Now number 22 on the Cardinals list. Zach Showalter, not on the Orioles list. And now is number 23 on the Cardinals list. I don't think you need to get into each of these guys, but is is it safe to say that across the board there, a lot of that has to do with uh, the the quality of the list involved? Sure. Yeah, I'll let, I'm sorry, John. I was going to defer to you and just say, since I've talked about the previous two guys, the two Rangers you mentioned, Roby and Segesi, Rangers have a very deep list. They would have ranked about where they all, where they were at the time of the trade in the new Rangers list. So that was 100% a product of going from a deeper system to a thinner system. And then I was going to tee you up, Jonathan, for <laughs> two Orioles there. Yeah, I mean, it's same same kind of uh deal uh although uh, i will say that uh, you know preto was going to move up a little bit in the re-rank he's had a good year you know uh with the orioles prior to the trade zach show walter was likely going to land on the new top 30 uh interesting uh sort of over slot 11th round signing from the 2022 draft so that one not as huge of a jump because he, you know, he he had opened some eyes with how he pitched in in his full season debut this year. So, but again, it's you know the the Orioles generally considered to have the best or one of the best farm systems. You know, just like the Rangers, very deep. So, uh, more a reflection of that than anything else. Although both of those guys were performing well and had sort of up arrows next to their name at the time of the trade. Another player who uh, fits that bill, Jonathan, Ryan Bliss, who went from the D-backs to the Mariners. Uh, middle infielder was ranked number 29 on the D-backs list, is now number 14 on the Mariners list. Um, and he had a very, very nice start to this season, which I would imagine played into that. Yeah, I, I think this is sort of a combination of strong, stronger form system to weaker form system. And a guy who was going to make a jump up the the D backs list had he still been there. It's always been, you know, an intriguing set of tools, you know, in a smaller package. He's five nine, maybe he's five ten. Uh can really, really run. Uh is a good defender, really good defender at second, can fill in at shortstop uh when uh you know if you need him to. The biggest thing is they started making adjustments with his overall approach and a setup at the plate. And they, those really took hold and allowed him to hit his way to triple a. Uh, so now he's kind of knocking on the door. I think he has a chance to be a, like a, a pretty good offensive second baseman with uh, a little more thump than you would think given his size and he can really run and, and defend. So that's an, an intriguing guy uh, who is now, you know, somewhere in the middle of that Mariners top 30. All right. We are going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue talking about, deals made at the trade deadline we're going to uh look at some of the deeper sleepers on the list and uh, talk about the teams that had the best hauls that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo talking trade deadline. That went down yesterday. We've been tracking trades of prospects leading up to the deadline over the course of the past week or so. 52 prospects traded, uh, 40 of them who were ranked on the top 30 prospects list, either at the time of the trade or after they were traded. We've talked about the guys at the top of the list, the four top 100 prospects who were traded. Uh, talked about some guys who made jumps from one list to another. Now I want to talk about some of the deeper sleepers on the list. And when I say the list, this is the complete list of prospects who were traded, and Sam Dykstra ranked the 40 prospects who were ranked. So, Jim, Jonathan, hit us uh, hit us with a, a, a sleeper each, or, or a couple if you've got them. I'll start with Mason Albright who the Rockies got from the Angels uh, in the in return for C.J. Cron and Randall uh, Grychuk, the you know, Angels return home trade. And because, you know, I like guys who know how to pitch and have a feel for pitching. And it's also, you know, unusual for the Angels to have a high school, have had a high school drafted pitching prospect and they've been so college heavy. But they went over slot to sign Albright and, He's a lefty. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he throws strikes. He really knows what he's doing. He was having a very good year uh, this year. I'm not sure, you know, how it plays at Coors Field. You know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, not going to have to worry about that just yet. But they got, uh, I thought, an interesting arm of a guy who knows, you know, how to change speeds, keep guys off balance, can keep the ball down, uh, you know, if, if need be. I, I think he's the kind of guy who might be able to make adjustments. So that. That is my guy who was on the list um, because he was he was ranked 28th on the Angels list and now was at 21 on the on the Rockies list and that more a reflection of the year he was having and number uh, 33 on uh, Sam's list right right and then going off the board a little bit he he's not ranked he wasn't ranked on the Padres list and he's not ranked on the Pirates list which is still pretty deep. But I do know that members of the Pirates front office were, were excited to get Eswar Suero as part of the deal that sent Rich Hill and G-Man Choi uh, to the Padres. Uh, super young, physical, toolsy outfielder. Uh, not putting him on the list yet. I mean, he's you know just getting started. But one of those guys like to keep an eye on. I mean, he, maybe he makes it. The Pirates keep calling up everybody, so I might need a several more replacements before we're done, but more a guy that, you know, you look back years later and like, Oh, they got him in a trade. I had completely forgotten that. It ends up being a really good player. So that's, he's a guy I put a little asterisk next to in my notes. Well, if Jonathan's going to pick two guys, You're gonna pick, to, then you'd six, have to pick only one pick role reversal. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, you did say no. a couple, Jason, if you yeah. had said one, no, it's, no, it's I'm a, a rule follower. <clears throat> so well, I'm um, not, uh, yeah. 
That's fine. I, yeah. I'm not going to follow Jonathan's rules exactly. A couple guys who who weren't as high ranked, um, who are interesting. You know, Bradley Blaylock was not on my Red Sox list, but would have like they're very thin on pitching. He would have pushed kind of toward the middle of the list at midseason, and got traded to the to the Brewers for Luis Urias, and yeah, very encouraging comeback. He had Tommy John surgery, kind of broke out in 2021 after the pandemic. Then he had Tommy John surgery, missed all last year. He came back. The velocity's back. He's throwing his secondary pitches for strikes. He's got a curveball, slider. He's got a splitter. Um, still just 22 years old. Um, so I think his development was pretty encouraging this year. That was interesting. I mean, we remember, you know, Luis Urias was once considered one of the best pure hitters in all of minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't happened, and the Red Sox are desperate for infield help. So we'll see how that one works out. You know, a guy who I've always kind of liked in the Cubs system, and you know, I, I still, I still think he's probably a reliever, maybe a multi-inning reliever when all is said and done. But DJ Hers is just a lefty with nasty stuff. He's got deceptive crossfire delivery. He didn't really use a changeup much as an amateur. Now he's got one of the better changeups in the in the minor leagues. It's low eighties, and it just you know drops straight down at the plate. He's up to 96 with the fastball. Like he, he, you know, he has slider. He's better than his curveball. It's not great field of spin. It hasn't ever been a ton of strikes, but he misses a lot of bats. And, and so I, I, you know, DJ Hers is a guy who I think is definitely a big leaguer who isn't ranked super high on the list. And and this is not a sleeper, but I wanted to to throw out a topic for discussion. So maybe I did follow the rules, only pick two guys. I, I thought the most, I guess, if I'm ranking. Uh, just fascinating names. Maybe the most fascinating name to get traded yesterday was one Khalil Watson. Hmm. Um, you know, who Jonathan, I mean, you remember back in 2021 when the Pirates were looking to maybe cut a deal with the number one pick and they eventually took Henry Davis. Watson was in that mix to potentially go number one. And he wound up sliding to the Marlins at 16 and tremendous tools and an utter disaster in 2022. Both from a performance standpoint, he didn't hit. He was way too aggressive. And the makeup wasn't great. He got demoted for a month after making a threatening gesture toward an umpire. And he's not really hitting this year either. The tools are still very evident. And it's interesting. You know, I was talking before about how the Guardians have a knack. Like, it seems like everybody in their system can hit for average. If they can get Khalil Watson back on track, and I realize it's, it's not, you know, it's long odds right now. But just amazing to me that here's a guy who less roughly two years ago was a potential number one overall pick, and then he's traded at the deadline for for Josh Bell. It's not like they got you know Dylan Cease or something. They traded him for Josh Bell. Right. No, it's a testament to sort of where his stock is, and you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see if that you know the focus on hitability and approach things like that it can can rub off on him and. Um, it'll be a good experiment to to keep track of. Yeah, he was number four on our top two fifty draft prospects list that year. All right, l- let's uh, talk about the teams that uh, did the best in terms of acquiring prospect talent at this trade deadline. If you've been listening to this podcast up to this point, you probably have a pretty good idea uh, of some of the teams that we're going to talk about. We mentioned that the Mets got. Uh, the top two prospects traded at the deadline. Uh, we talked a, about a couple of White Sox uh, acquisitions so far, 
including a top 100 prospect in Edgar Caro. Uh, they also got the uh, highest ranked non-top 100 prospect uh, in Jake Eater, a player who was previously on the top 100 prospects list back in 2021. Uh, prior to his Tommy John surgery, uh, he was electric in his uh, pro debut and had worked his way into the 80s, I think, on the top 100 prospects list. Uh, but it, yeah, if you look at it, Sam Dykstra's rankings of all the prospects who were traded, out of the top eight, uh, seven of them went to either the Mets or the White Sox. Mets got Acuna, Gilbert, who are number one and two on the list. Also got Ryan Clifford in the Justin Verlander deal, who is number six on the list. And they got uh, Marco Vargas, who uh, we discussed previously in the David Robertson deal. And then the White Sox, in addition to Carol Eater, also got Nick Nestrini, who was uh, ranked number seven on the list, who we discussed earlier, and Kai Bush, number 11 on the list, uh, also part of that Giolito and Lopez deal. So, guys, I'm going to guess uh, that both of uh, both of those teams are, are right up there contending uh, for the teams that you would say did best at this trade deadline in terms of acquiring prospect talent. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to go Mets one, White Sox two. You know, the White Sox, you just mentioned, uh, Jason, got three of the top four pitchers, pitching prospects, who changed hands at the deadline. And, uh, you know, with Clifford, it's interesting. I, I'm not as far along in my Astros discussions of top 30s as I am with other teams. But talking to somebody with the Astros today, he had Ryan Clifford ahead of Drew Gilbert, uh, you know, and thinks he might be the better player in the long run. So, uh, yeah, I, those are the two clear winners for me. And then I think it's it, it's up for debate. How about you, Jonathan? I, I like how you start off with that. You would have to go. I don't have to do anything. You have I could to. completely disagree. You have to. Well, you'd be wrong. <laughs> That about sums up our relationship. I um, no, I, I think that's that's right. You know, it's quantity and quality for for both of them. You know, the Cardinals what received eight total prospects, um, and it was a thin system. So you know, but they you know they didn't get any high end guys. They didn't get any of the top one hundred guys. You know, um, several of their guys made jumps up their list because their system wasn't as weak, but for a system that needed help, they got help, um, you know, in terms of their trade. So I think they would probably go next on the, on the list and tied with the Mets, right. For the most amount of prospects received with, with eight. Um, and I don't, after that, I think it's a question of what, you know, you know, the, what the Royals and Rockies each brought in five prospects, uh, again, the Rocky system, not very strong. So quantity is good, but <clears throat> I, I think there's a drop off after the, you know, after that top two for sure. Yeah. I'd probably go guardians fourth just for getting Manzardo. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I'll like, you know, you're going to accuse me of being a Homer and I wouldn't list the pirates on like a best halls. I, I don't have to accuse you of being a Homer cause you always accuse yourself of being a Homer. That's true. Whatever I, do happens. It. I, I, I do it myself. Uh, so I, I think just that you know they had a plan going in when they signed guys like Rich Hill and G-Man Choi and Austin Hedges thinking we're likely if 
you know, unless something crazy happens, uh, going to be looking to, tr- you know, trade for, for more prospects and depth. So they were able to turn those three guys into some interesting players and some international bonus pool money. I wouldn't put them on a list of like teams that did the best, but they followed the game plan that they clearly had when they made those offseason acquisitions. Yeah, I believe the Mets, White Sox, and Cardinals each added seven new players to their top 30 prospects lists over the course of the past week. So yeah, if you're uh, if you're a fan of one of those teams and want to get acquainted with your uh, new prospects, obviously head on over to MLB.com slash pipeline and check out your team's top 30 prospects list. And uh, another reminder that those team lists and the top 100 prospects list and all the top 10 by position lists will be uh, updated to include 2023 draftees uh, next week during the midseason re-rank. Um, I was looking to see whether there was much crossover or any crossover between the teams that have done well here um, in terms of acquiring prospects at the deadline and teams that uh, had interesting drafts. Uh, because I wanted wanted to talk about some teams that could be jumping up the farm system rankings uh, based on both prospect acquisitions at the trade deadline and uh, players that they brought in in the draft. I don't think there's a whole lot of crossover in terms of, you know, we do a story each year uh, post-draft on teams that got the best draft hauls. And looking down that list of teams... Uh, the Reds, the Giants, the Twins, the Tigers, the Mariners, the Marlins, the Nationals, and Pirates. Um, so it doesn't look like there's one team that's just like full, you know, full rebuild, had high picks in the draft, and got a bunch of prospects at the deadline. Well, I, I always say like it's hard to know where te- like until you actually sit down and start lining the teams up. It's hard to say okay. Yeah, this team's going to be here and that team's going to be there. I do think the team with the most upward mobility, based on the fact that I think we had them ranked 26th coming into the season. They're one of the two teams we cited as bringing a lot of talent. And they actually had a fairly deep and interesting draft, I I think, is the White Sox. Um, You know, Grant, you know, between Jacob Gonzalez, Grant Taylor, Seth Keener, George Walkow, all those guys are probably going to rank in the upper half of their farm system. And you add in all these traded guys, um, you know, it's a huge overhaul. In fact, I was looking at this this morning. I will come up with this number if I can open the proper file. My, my, my in-progress White Sox top 30 list, how many of their top 15 prospects do you think have joined the organization in the last two months? 13. Well, no, come on. It can't be 13. <laughs> so so you, you, you're going to lose. Jason will win, but we'll see how close Jason can be since Jonathan is just going to ruin the fun with a preposterous guess. That's right. That's me. Restate the question for me. Top 15 prospects in my in-progress White Sox list, how many have joined the organization in the last – well, I should actually oh, jo- okay. join the organization since July. You basically mean the, like so, the draft and trades, right? Yes. Yeah. We've we've got okay. They just acquired seven, but they're not necessarily in the top fifteen. Uh, I'll go. I'll go with uh, nine, eight. 
But yeah, George Wolkow was very close. So it was nine of the top 18. So I, I do think that's probably the organization that's going to make the biggest move. Although I don't like, they're not jumping from 25 to five, but they'll probably go from, or 26 where they were. They'll go from 26 to middle of the pack. Jonathan, do you have a club that stands out or? By the way, I think I'm right. You need to relook at your White Sox list. I'm kidding. I think the one team, and I think it's more because I like their draft, is the Seattle Mariners who are 24th. They brought in a couple of you know prospects and trades, but nothing earth shattering. We already talked about Ryan Bliss, um, but the but the, but I do like their draft, and I think the draft, the really strong draft with a couple of prospects, that was the one team I kind of was like they'll probably move up a little bit, but not as much because of the de- of the deadline. Somewhat related to this, I, I, had a, I had a shocking thought today. Um, I, I'd, I'd entertained this thought previously before they engaged in the sell-off, and then I forgot about the second part of this. But you know, at the beginning of the year, we never would have contemplated the fact that what, what, what do you think the Mets' odds were of winning the World Series versus being in the draft lottery? And <laughs> because they've spent so much money on payroll. The, the ultimate slap in the face would be they could win the draft lottery and pick 11th next year because their pick would move down 10 spots. Oh, man. Can you imagine? And, and, and the Yankees are in the same boat. Um, can you imagine if if the Mets and Yankees won the draft lottery and picked 11th and 12th? I think not, if the Yankees not the are, way that was drawn up. I think if the Yankees or Mets won the draft lottery, there would be a riot at the winter meetings. There'd be a riot, but they'd still pick 11th and 12th. Right. <laughs> anyway, I'm just throwing that out. That, that's I'm rooting for chaos. I want the Mets to win the draft lottery now just for the chaos it will create. Shocking thoughts with Jim Callis. It's a new segment we're going to introduce. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a question from our old friend Stevie D to answer here in the mailbag. Stephen kind of, he read our mind a little bit. He asked a two-part question, one of which we've already discussed. We, we've uh, discussed the subject of these questions at the opening of this episode. Stevie asks, how far along has Luis Angel Acuna been for his development compared to his older brother? And with him on the Mets, what position do you believe he'll play in the long term? And we covered the second part. With Francisco Lindor there, we think it'll be center field or, or second base. Second base. Depending. Well, I mean, they have a bunch of infielders too. I mean, Jet Williams is pretty talented. Yeah, that's true. Well, we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll see how that works out. But, you know, he's not – how old is Acuna now? Is he 20? 21. What? Oh, Ronald? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Luis Angel is 21. Ronald is 25. Yeah. I mean, his brother, you know, developed at a much quicker pace than than Luis Angel did. I mean, by the time Acuna oh, oh, was... In his age 21 season, he hit 41 homers in the big <laughs> yeah. leagues and stole 37, 37 bases. bases. So... And finished fifth in MVP voting. Yeah. And, and he was, at his age 20 season, all he did was win Rookie of the Year over Juan Soto. So, yeah, I mean, there, I mean, we're seeing it this year because he's having, he's potentially, you know, what's he on pace for? Like a 40, 80 season right now, I think. <laughs> like, which has never been done. Um, I, I don't think that's ever even been said. Uh, what well, has now? Um, but he's just his tools are so crazy. He and it was weird because his career got off to a slow start too. If you, I mean, Jonathan, you, you still did the Braves. You did the Braves in. I mean, he was in rookie ball, and then I think he was hurt somewhat in 2016, so he didn't get in a full season. 
And then, bam, in 2017, he was basically the best prospect in the game. I think we had him ranked number two on our list with an asterisk because Shohei Otani was number one. Um, but Shohei was a full-fledged Japanese big league star. He just qualified by our standards. But he went like he flipped the switch overnight. Once he was healthy, his first healthy season and full season ball, Ronald Acuna was basically the best player in the minors. And, and I even remember him from the fall league that year. He was equally ridiculous. Yep. And we did a, I think it was one of the military appreciation games. I was broadcasting with Joe McGrain and his first two times up, he probably hit like 900 feet of home runs after the second one, Joe McGrain and I were just laughing at how ridiculously easy he was making baseball look. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a little unfair, I think to, in, in, in short, because, and if you remember, we, we had to rush to rank him on the top 100 because he had 2016, he did make it to full season ball, but briefly and was, he hit, you know, but wasn't there long enough that he had even really registered that much. And then in 2017, uh, he, um, he, he went from high a to triple a and raked all the way in 2040 season. Uh, and then, you know, 2018, he was in the big leagues. So it's almost unfair to his younger brother to try to, to compare because in a lot of ways, I mean, Luis on hell, I think is for his age ahead of a lot of curves, just not the Acuna family curve, evidently. And there's a third Acuna brother, right? I, I, I've lost track of what organization he's with. Stevie D, thanks for your question as always. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks I'm going to throw something in real quick, Jason. Oh, Twins. Before you thank everybody Minnesota for listening. Twins. Twins. Minnesota, Minnesota Twins. Minnesota Twins. Minnesota Twins. We, we didn't want anybody to listen to this podcast and wonder where Brian Acuna was. That should give he, us the five-star rating instead of maybe four stars that we think. That's right. Rate. But are they twins? No. No. I, I was confused for a second. I'm like, what are you asking? And then I realized what, what was going on there. But uh, but yeah, okay. so now now they can give us a five-star review because we've, we've answered our own question. <laughs> All right. Let me pick up where I was. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>